Hello, and welcome to another special edition of Black Women Voices. I'm one of the hosts, Anne-Marie Edwards, and I'm currently pursuing a doctorate in educational psychology. I wanted to explore an innovative approach with my dissertation. So about a year ago, I asked my sister host if I could record special episodes for the Black Women Voices podcast that will be included in my dissertation. If you missed episode one of the series, I would encourage you to go back and listen. In that episode, I give a more robust explanation of the premise behind the special series. This is episode three of a nine-part series. This episode features Yetu, and her voice is the next voice you'll hear. Hi, my name is Yitope. I have a silent letter in the first letter of my name, which is the letter D. The D in my name is silent, and it's a West African name that means desire to see. So, who am I? Such a tricky question nowadays, since so much has happened in the world, that often makes me reevaluate my answer each time. Well, to start off, I am 19 years old, an undergraduate sophomore at Northern Illinois University, and I'm a proud black woman. <laughs> I'm from the west suburbs of the Chicagoland area. Where I grew up was a weird combination of being a predominantly white area with an increasing population of sprinkles of black people and other people of color around me. So basically, I grew up with mostly white people, but I was fortunate enough to still be able to see people who looked like me along with plenty of other racial minorities. I am a first generation American with parents and older siblings from Liberia, West Africa. As a black person coming from two similar yet very different cultures, such as African culture and black American culture, I've grown more and more patriotic for both identities that make up who I am. If I had to describe who I am as a person in one word, it would be exuberant. I have always been someone who's full of positive energy with sheer curiosity of how I affect other people in life and vice versa. In high school, I was a student athlete performed in theater, and involved myself in different clubs that I believed would make a long-lasting impact on my life, such as Black Student Union, Spanish Club, mental health awareness organizations, and more. While juggling the tasks delegated to me for my involvement in school, I also took on piano lessons, had a job, and once I graduated high school, I was able to obtain my CNA license. Ultimately, being a Black first-generation American in my connection to my African roots and being from the suburbs is where all the credit goes to my ability to fully embrace my identity today. The question to me that was posed was who is the most influential person in my life? When this question was first addressed to me, I automatically thought of my parents. But after thinking about the question more, the most influential people in my life would have to be both my parents and in some weird way, the friendships of my past. I know, weird but I'll explain why both of these groups of people are the most influential in my life later. I'll start off with my parents. As I have mentioned earlier, I am a product of immigration. About 20 years ago, my family began their new and bumpy journey into the United States of America. My parents are the most influential people in my life first, not because they are my parents, but mostly because of the strength, 
perseverance, and faith I had witnessed growing up, seeing both of them work tirelessly to make a name for themselves in America as foreigners from another country. Starting from scratch with children, having more children, and being from another country is what influenced me the most for my parents. My dad went to Wheaton College here in the US, and from there, he guided my mom and my three older siblings before my younger brother and I were born in the US through the hardships of coming to America. I will always give credit to both of my parents for influencing me the most to work hard, trust in God, and to never give up. I learned from them that sometimes you have to make sacrifices in your life without seeing the whole vision of a chapter God is leading you into. Next, I have past friendships in my life that have also influenced me. As I stated earlier, I view myself as an exuberant person, yet sometimes when extrovertism takes over, it's hard to notice who your real friends are from the people who truly don't have the best interest for you. From my past friendships, I learned a handful of lessons, such as real friends will love you just as you are. There were too many times in middle school, high school, and yes, even some instances in my experience at NIU where I chose friends who judged me for certain morals and natural traits that made up who I am as a person. Choosing to be kind and my choice to not drink or smoke would cause some of my friends from the past to judge me and calling me soft and making it seem like I never went through anything in life resulting in me feeling invalidated over certain circumstances or choices that I had to make for myself. Learning that friendship is a two-way street was another lesson that took multiple friendships for me to learn the essence of that lesson. Resulting from my desperate desire to have friends in the past, unhealthily pleasing others, and giving all of who I am in friendships to the wrong people made me learn that true friends will never make you question or doubt the friendships you have with them. Friends from my past play an interesting role in influencing me to become a better version of myself. Next, my educational experience. Wow, there are a lot of mixed feelings with my K-12 experiences as a black girl. I recently gained some knowledge on how in the educational world, black women tend to be the victims of adultification bias. Adultification bias is a form of racial prejudice involving children of minority groups, particularly African-American girls who are treated as being more mature than they actually are by a social standard of development. I, like plenty of other black girls, are victims of adultification bias, seen as less innocent as their white counterparts and held at unreasonably high standards of maturity that most young children their age aren't even at. Subconsciously, I felt like I always had to be strong from such a young age and to prove to people that my skin color isn't the only thing that defines me, nor is it a barrier to my journey towards success. I, like most black girls, slowly start to internally process this at a young age. One experience I had was in fifth grade. There was a class play that had auditions for the show Hansel and Gretel. I, like many other non-white girls in school, began to slowly see the Eurocentric standards that have always been present, not only in academics, but in the arts as well in school. Anyways, I wanted to be Gretel, so I auditioned for Gretel. Newsflash, I never got the part. However, my music teacher offered me the part of the witch. I accepted the role of the witch, but when we started to do rehearsals and I acted, my music teacher wanted me to be more angry and, 
and furious and scary to my classmates who played Hansel and Gretel. I didn't understand this then, but it truly felt like my music teacher was subtly perpetuating the angry black woman stereotype. Considering, last time I checked, the Wicked Witch of that story was kind to Hansel and Gretel at first. One other experience I had as a black girl in K-12 was taking on my first advanced placement, or AP course. Yes, I was the only black girl in this class. And yes, my teacher was white, and I felt more like a pawn for my school to promote diversity rather than an actual student that was genuinely seen for academic intelligence. My advanced placement teacher my sophomore year of high school stated that there was an increase in African Americans at our school district, and now we just don't know what to do with them. Yes, other students looked at me with shock seeing what I was going to say. And no, I didn't know what to say because I felt silenced by the lack of openness and representation advanced and honors courses had for me and other BIPOC students. I was disappointed, but not surprised, that a teacher in a white-as-ever suburban area would make more black students pursuing an education out to be a bad thing. The list goes on and on as to how many experiences as a black woman I have had in education, from teachers saying, from a, for a woman of color, I work hard, mistaking my head wrap one day as a do-rag and saying it's not appropriate to wear in school, but because I'm one of the good ones, I won't get caught or the constant questions or looks of awe of students and teachers wanting to touch my hair or ask if I wash it, or how did I get it from being the length of my shoulders all the way down to my butt. All these experiences conveyed to me from a realist point of view, not a pessimistic one, that I will always be judged based on the color of my skin. I may be acknowledged for other skill sets or qualities that help define who I am, but because I am black, but not only black, a woman at that, people will always be surprised to see someone who looks like me that knows how to get stuff done. This is a reality that I have to keep reminding myself. The playing field isn't fair towards black students, particularly black girls. But I just have to keep reminding myself how far I have come and how far I can get to where I need to be. Ironically, as a black woman, my college experiences of only a couple semesters was a whole lot better than my entire high school experience. Obviously, as a minority, there will always be racial inequality between me and my white and non-black counterparts. But for some odd reason, I felt like I fit right into NIU. Seeing other black people that looked like me on campus and feeling like I belonged as a black person before attending NIU was one of the determining factors that made me choose the school. I'm aware that my experience is most likely not the same as others, but I was surrounded mostly by other black students when I first attended NIU, and that was the complete opposite of where I came from. Even though both NIU and the suburban area where I came from are both predominantly white areas, it felt more accessible to find resources and communities for people who looked like me ran by people who looked like me in college. The Center for Black Studies at NIU is a prime example of why I feel like my identity has flourished more as a black woman. I took a course called Racism in America held there, and I just always felt at home and that I had a voice as a black person. I guess you could say that I felt more liberated being a black woman in college rather than in high school. The parameters are a lot more loose, and I feel like I have more support from other black people than I did when, when I was in high school. 
It's truly disheartening to know that recently someone or group of people made an attack on the Center for Black Studies, writing the N-word with a hard R on the building. I don't let this act of hate distort how I overall feel as a black student in college. But that doesn't mean that I'm not angry or sad, or just tired that stuff like this still happens and that the long road for overall justice and peace with racial equality is far from over. So to conclude, my overall college experiences as a black woman on campus have been amazing. There's just little reminders here and there that I have to keep sharing to the world that I, along with countless other black people, that our skin color isn't an obstacle to our path towards success. But on the contrary, it's the epitome and catalyst of what drives us to be successful. Some of the words used to describe myself are adventurous, curious, sincere, friendly, humorous, and empathetic. These are words that I feel like perfectly describe who I am since I am a people person, and I'm always in the mood to learn about other people and the worlds around me. I am someone who takes pride in learning about my surroundings, cultures, and stories of people who are different from me, and I feel like all the words that I have previously described perfectly embody those traits I possess in my personality. Words that describe how I see my future would be unclear, promising, fluid, and growing. I'm kind of unsure how my future will look like since I recently changed my career path from nursing to law. I now want to become an immigration lawyer, and I truly believe my upbringing plays a role in the sudden change of dream careers. However, the remaining words I use to describe how I see my future give me reassurance to never take anything for granted, especially now that we're in a global pandemic. And to always use each circumstance or interaction I have with people as a growing process. I honestly feel more confident in myself and show more love to myself as a black woman for my experiences. For the longest time, I felt like I struggled heavily with imposter syndrome. And to this day, sometimes I question my worth because of the experiences I have gone through. Because of my experiences, I feel more motivated to get the work I need done. Not to prove to anyone or the world that I'm capable of making change and being successful, but that because of the willpower that has always been inside of me, I am able to make real change. It's in my blood, runs in my DNA from my ancestors to stay resilient, hardworking, and optimistic towards whatever life throws at me. And the power of God too plays the biggest role for me. For the future, I understand that life will always throw various challenges at you, but that all you can do is be prepared and remind yourself that that you can be successful and trust the process and God. My experiences have most importantly reminded me of the Malcolm X quote, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. I must stand for what I believe is right. If I don't stand for something, I will most definitely be subject to falling for anything. My past experiences have shown me that I am being prepared for what's to come in the future. And who I want to become has shown me that I need to keep defying all odds held against me. And that no matter what happens in my life, I will be successful. My biggest piece of advice for other black women is to always lift each other up. We live in a world that thrives off of seeing black women tear each other down and wants that for us. I hate to admit it, but when I was younger, I would compare myself to other black women and I thought I was better than some of my sisters. And by the middle of high school, I realized that wasn't right for me to do. 
I wish someone had told me sooner the importance of encouraging other black women and uplifting one another. My next piece of advice is to learn how to show more love and appreciation for yourself and that people and the world will attempt to make you see yourself as less than as a black woman, which is just so inaccurate. Black women are often viewed as possessing excessive masculinity or seen as so strong to the point where there's often no support for ourselves, for, for us, I should say, but ourselves. So we must support and love each other, but self-love always comes first. It took a while for me to learn to love the inside and outside of who I am as a black woman, but I eventually got there. So love yourself first, fellow black sisters. And lastly, keep reminding yourself that you are literal magic. Black women get the short end of the stick in everything. Yet, we are original trendsetters, creative in how we express ourselves, and we love hard. They don't call it black girl magic for no reason. So own your magic, sis. Thank you so much for including me in this conversation. It really was an eye-opening experience. Thank you. And now for my research notes. Before I begin, more information on the resources I use for this segment will be in the show notes. While I heard many themes, there are two areas of focus for today's research notes. The first is about the people, cultures, and lessons that yet to learn from. The second is about the dehumanization of black girls in educational settings. Yetu is hopeful and she is clear on her faith. She spoke of identity from a different place, a place of knowing. Her family immigrated from Liberia, a West African country. I found it interesting, the confidence that derives from her connection to her birthplace, from knowing exactly who she is. Are Africans more willing to embrace their country of origin than African-Americans? What if black people in America could trace their lineage directly to their African country of origin? What if we could find our own little Wakandas? It is an awe-inspiring thought that knowing who you are and where you come from has such an impact on your developing identity. As black people in America, we learn about our history, often beginning with slavery, through a curated white lens. Western identity often imposes a need for assimilation rather than celebration of an individual's culture. It both acknowledges the melting pot and controls how it operates. Identity and how messages are received and interpreted differ based on the cultural traditions of your family and community or the lack thereof. Yetu just finished her first year in college. It is clear that she has had some good experiences thus far. She didn't boast of the same sentiments from her time in high school. In fact, she pointed out some very racist moments she had with educators. Immediately, I began to think about the relationship between the lack of black educators and the rules regarding becoming a teacher. I thought about how our education system has ended up being populated by predominantly white women who don't know black history or likely even their own history for that matter. So they just go directly to what the books say. 
which is not much. Yeto noticed this too as a child. The real question is how do we decolonize the minds of white teachers who see black kids as a threat? Specifically, Yetu spoke about adultification, although I believe that her definition of the word was different than what is portrayed. Burton defined adultification as a phenomenon that comprom- that contextual, social, and developmental processes in which youth are prematurely and often inappropriately exposed to adult knowledge and assume extensive adult roles and responsibilities within their family networks. Instead, I believe that Yetu speaks to how black girls are often criminalized and humiliated. The book and documentary Push Out addresses the topic of black girl criminalization in the education system. The film takes an in-depth look at how a lack of understanding of black girls leads to excessive discipline. That doesn't seem to be the case for Yetu, but for many black girls, especially those in predominantly white neighborhoods, it is. One final note. Each episode will end with a clip of a song that the participant chose to describe their life journey. Yetu chose Stand Up For Something by Andre Day featuring Common. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for taking the time to listen to Black Woman Voices. Please come back next Friday to check out the next episode in this special series. And remember to follow Black Woman Voices on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All the links will be in the show notes. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please leave us a review and share it with others. Now let's start a conversation. Take care and talk soon. Feel the night, that's when the 